Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. I recently finished a game called Greedfall. Um, it's an RPG. It's very chatty. You spend most of your time either in dialogue options or running from point A to point B to have a further conversation. Uh, then you run back from point B to point A so you can recount that part of that conversation to the other person and then make some kind of decision, which will lead you to running to point C, in which case you probably have to run back to B and A again at some point in the future so to have further conversations. Uh, that sounds bad. I actually enjoyed the game. It was far more storytelling than game. Uh, and so I actually maybe a little deeper into certain stories would have been better, but I, I enjoyed the experience. Uh, it wasn't actually what I was expecting. I got it very cheap. It's irrelevant. Not even what I want to talk about. It was a missed opportunity though. So like many games, you start with character creator. Now I went default white guy. Uh, I did not get too enthused about the situation. I was just like, oh, I just want to actually start playing. So I made sort of a guy, I gave him a little gingery hair. So he was kind of like me. Uh, he was way younger than I think I've ever been. So he was in his 20s. You would say more he was a distant relative than me in a different format. This is a bit of a spoiler. The premise of the game is that you are from the continent and you go to this newly discovered island uh, and then you set up your colony. Uh, there's other countries have set up their colonies and then you try to find peace amongst them or you start fights or whatever. That's the RPG element. The spoiler is that you were actually born on that island and taken away as a baby, which is why you don't remember it, raised by nobles in the continent and so you come back actually as a native son of the island or daughter if that's the character you choose, the gender. They drop some hints. So for plot reasons, if throughout the beginning of the game, they start dropping hints like, well, you look like a native. Now there's no reason you actually look like a native because quite frankly, my character creator is just a white guy. And then very quickly, you started getting sort of the whole palette uh, available on the island. This is something that video game makers could do very easily and it would be really interesting because when you do the character creation, you go through the palette shades. So I went as white as possible to sort of match my lack of palette, if we're being honest. And what they could have done was apply a range of that shader to everyone on the island. So I'm not talking about features and eyes and stuff like that. You could go further and actually do that but it could have been pale to slightly less pale for every character who was an islander and then make everyone else, like so all the people from the continent, every other shade. And that would have been a subtle visual cue that you look more like an islander than one of the people from the continent. And they wouldn't have had to say anything. They could have dropped the hints uh, and it would have worked just, just as well. But it would have been really obvious when you start going out into the wild and actually meeting the people who are native to the island that you look more like them than the people you're with. Wow, that's really weird. That's a little mystery you could have left hanging there for quite a while. 
And it would have been a very easy thing to do because the shaders are just like you just a choice uh, basically from zero to 10, let's say. So if you make, let's say I choose zero, so then zero, one, two would be all the island shades and then anything above two would be everyone from the continent. And if you chose something in the middle, it would be those middle shades and then the extremes would be everyone from the continent. If you chose the dark end, so eight, nine, 10, then everyone from the continent would be lower than that. Now that's a big thing to apply universally, but since most of these characters, I mean, most of them are preset, uh, they might even be generated by the computer randomly if they're just like people walking around a village, that actually wouldn't be that hard because you're already applying that number to them anyways, in some fashion. This is something that the third, oh no, this is something that Mass Effect Andromeda dropped the ball on because I made my character creator and I went for hot Asian woman is the best I could do because again, I only put like 15 minutes maximum into any character I make. Uh, but I always give my Asian women in video games white hair. I don't know why. Maybe it's a fetish thing. We'll find out someday. Uh, but when I was dropped into the story elements with what was supposed to be my family, none of them looked like me. So they should have taken some singular element of the character I had created. So my brother should have had white hair as well, or he should have been Asian. He wasn't even Asian. He was just like some guy, and I was calling him my brother like we'd been born in the same family. But clearly, from what I was seeing on the screen, I had been adopted. Again, it doesn't even necessarily have to be shade or skin tone. It could be attributes. So I give my character a big nose. Everyone in my family on the male side suddenly has big noses. That would not be a difficult attribute to assign to characters within a game. Uh, I make my character really tall. My mother and father in the game are really tall. But I give my character white hair. They should have given my mother or my father, and I would actually say, and my brother, because it's clearly a dominant trait, white hair as well. Now, you could probably get away with saying, like, I was cool Asian girl. I dyed my hair, bleached it. Uh, but it was weird that I was Asian and no one else was in my family. Uh, which takes us to another secondary element which I think would be cool to employ in a video game at some point. The people on the island in Greedfall, I didn't speak their language quite sensibly. What it, I would have enjoyed is if over time they spoke their made-up language. I actually don't know if it was made up, but I assume it was. They spoke their made-up language. And then as the game progresses, the beginning, it's 100%, I don't understand. Mid-game, start dropping English words since I'm playing in English. Uh, if you're speak, playing a different language, of course you would apply your language. But drop in English words into sentences so I can start picking out important words. And then like two-thirds way through the game, give about half the sentence in their made-up language and half in English like I'm learning the language. So I'm learning to understand them. And at the end of the game, I actually understand the language completely. That would be an interesting transitional period that would be engaging to me in the game because... I remember playing Crisis, I think the first one, and you're on the island and all the island is occupied by North Korean soldiers, and if you play on a mid to low level, skill-wise, they speak English, but if you play on hard, they all speak Korean, which was really cool, because then you don't know what they're saying. They might be like, hey, let's call reinforcements. They might be like, hey, let's get lunch. You don't know, unless you spoke Korean, which would be really cool, but that was fun because it made it feel slightly more authentic. 
But at the same time, you could have the character, since he's spending months and months or years and years in this island, supposedly, starts to pick up the language of the universe he's in over time. And by the end of the game, you're actually understanding all the dialogue and all the dialogue options. And that would be a really interesting thing that I think video games would not have too much trouble employing, would really engage the player uh, in world building. So I sent a Quora question by a friend. My boss rejected my two weeks notice. What should I do now? This gives you a certain amount of freedom because obviously the boss is entitled in a way that they think that you can't do anything without their approval. They've gotten to a position where they're the boss and they think that their approval is needed for every aspect of your life, including leaving your place of employment. The first question, of course, is can they reject this? Well, I guess technically they can. Uh, you've seen in movies where, where people resign and then the boss says, I'm not accepting this because they're resigning because of some noble reason because they didn't do their job properly or they feel so bad about something. And the boss is like, you can't leave. You're just too good of a an agent. I assume agent is what it always is. Uh, but it's because the person doesn't really want to quit in the first place. They just feel morally obligated to do it. I assume this is not the case. You are not feeling like you should quit out of some moral obligation. You're quitting because you just don't like working there anymore, which is way more normal, way more natural. You've put in your resignation, which means at the specified juncture, which I assume is going to be your two weeks, which is in North America. I don't know if this is a North American situation. But North America, it's two weeks standard. You say, I'm quitting. At the end of that time period, stop coming into work. Now, one of two things can happen. He can admit you've quit and move on with his life. The problem being for him, not you, is that he is not prepared for the idea that you're actually not coming into work anymore. But of course, that's not your problem anymore. He'll probably call you and go, why didn't you show up for work? And you can say, well, because I don't work there anymore, as I have previously stated. Uh, he says, you have to come into work. And like, I don't think that's necessarily true. Labor laws, again, I'm going to make assumption that this is North American, probably American, uh, where most companies, a lot of states are at will, which means they can fire you for any reason. But that also gives you the certain amount of power where you can quit for any reason. So at the end of the specified period, you stop coming into work. Then, after a certain amount of time, he'll fire you. Now, here's the, the play. is When he fires you, you reject it and continue collecting money forever. Because his idea is that you can't quit. But if you can't quit, then he has to continue paying you for work. Now, you're not coming into work, but it was clear that you weren't going to work there anymore anyways. So he has such a desire to have you on the books that he's going to continue paying you for doing nothing. And when he gets angry and fires you, apparently we can reject things like that. So just reject the firing. Then if you want to be an asshole, come in the next day and sit down at your desk and, you know, don't do any work, but just like be there and confuse the hell out of him. He goes, well, I fired you. You're like, well, no, I rejected that. Something employees, people forget is that a company's power is granted by the people. It's not actually inherent. And people in charge forget this. Uh, usually it's pretty rude awakenings for them when like a large chunk of staff just get up and leave and they can't do anything about it because they've gotten used to the idea of they tell people what to do. They've gotten used to the idea of they're in charge where all that supposed power comes from the fact that 
people accept that you tell them what to do. At any point, on any day, all the staff could just get up and walk out. Now, it's unlikely, but it is actually possible. I've actually seen, you know, people quit in a coordinated fashion. You've read about stories on the internet where like a whole shift of people like at a bar or something, they all quit on the same day just to screw a manager who wasn't very nice. All the power that is in the world is often granted by the people who are technically the underlings. There is also another option where he hasn't fired you. So you could just sit in the office and don't do any work because apparently it's impossible for you to do anything wrong. Now, during that period, you shouldn't be idle. You should be searching for another job. Or since he's clearly not going to let you resign, you have to get fired. You could try fun and creative ways to get fired. Here's the big power move. What you do is after you have resigned and he's not rejected, he's rejected your resignation. What you do is you go into his office and you fire the boss because you are clearly more essential to this company than he is. You can't quit, but he can be fired. Now he might say, you don't have the power to do that. And then you can have a little, you know, back and forth about the nature of power and how it works, as I've just sort of previously discussed. Um, he'll probably come around because you'd just be such an annoying prick at that point that he'd want to get rid of you. But at the end of the day, really, yes, they technically can reject your resignation, but the one thing they can't make you do is actually show up to work. As long as you have it on record that you quit, if that's how you want to go out, then that is something you could present to your next employer, your next, you know, in the interviews and stuff for your next possible employer. You could present that you actually resigned properly. If it comes out that this guy didn't accept it, I mean, that's going to be on him. And I guess any reasonable employer is going to go, well, you can't really do that. And they're going to understand the situation at that point. Here's a question I was presented with uh, in amongst my friend groups when we were talking, we're playing games one night. And this is one of the questions that came up. Is it weirder to drink a friend's semen, uh, we're going to assume mixed into another drink, or the semen of a stranger? Now, this, part of this came about, I, when I came to Japan, was very enthused about the variety of drinks available, and it was all very foreign to me. So I tried almost every drink I could get my hands on. So basically every day. I tried a new drink and, you know, most of them were fine. Some were really good. Some were disgusting. Uh, I don't like coffee. So all the, I basically skipped all the coffee based ones for a little while. I got into the energy drinks. Now the energy drinks in Japan have nicotine in them and a ton of other stuff that's really bad for you, but will make you feel really, really good for a short period of time. So I was inadvertently getting myself addicted to nicotine when I drank these things regularly. They use them for hangover cures, for when you're just tired in the morning and pick you up. It's got tons of caffeine, everything you're not supposed to actually have. But you feel amazing. So there is that. I found that there were some that were incredibly expensive. And I think these were sort of, uh, to put a little spring in your step, sexually, if you know what I mean. So one of the most expensive energy drinks I had contains some unique ingredients and this being asia you you already kind of know where i'm going it's it's weird and the preamble to this part of the conversation the monologue we're not actually talking you're not if you talk to me it's still not actually a conversation on the podcast or in real life if i'm being honest the 
energy drink I tried that was the most expensive one. It was 2,000 yen. So it's like 20 bucks. And it contained like turtle blood and a bunch of other stuff. And one of the most unique ingredients was fur seal semen. Now, I had always questioned, do they kill the seal and extract the semen? Because that seems inefficient. It seems like a way more sustainable practice if you actually just jerk off a seal. There's an interesting job to have on your resume. The fur seal semen masturbator or collections agent or something like that. I don't know. You, you could make it sound technical. But I choose to believe, I know it's probably not true, but I choose to believe that there is one very happy fur seal semen who gets serviced multiple times a day and fed very well uh, to produce the semen needed for this energy drink. What does it do for you when it's in your body? I would assume very little. <laughs> but I had drunk that. And so this was part of the conversation. I said that to my friends. Uh, and, and, and one of my friends proposed, uh, is it weirder to drink semen of a friend or a stranger? And I really struggled with this question. It's a very difficult question to answer. Because semen from a friend, you actually have more of a sense that they have, like you have a sense of their lifestyle, uh, that they would be clean. That would, to me, be like the primary factor is whether or not they are healthy and disease-free. So if it's someone you know, you would have a very good sense of, you know, are they likely to have a disease that is transferred to their semen and then maybe transferred to me? I know a lot, a lot of diseases get transferred that way, but again, we're just extrapolating ideas. Conceptually, it would be better to get it from someone you know because you know the source of the material. But knowing you had drunk that person's semen seems inherently problematic because I know that person and therefore will interact with them again. And even if they don't know, I mean, I assume they know because they were contributing to this project in the first place. We both know I've drunk their semen. And that could change the nature of your relationship. Uh, I would assume negatively because of my personality, I would withdraw from that person. I'd be like, you know, I'm actually less comfortable with you having drunk your semen and the fact that you know it makes a difference. Which does bring up a counterpoint. If you drank the semen in the energy drink and they didn't know it, so they maybe contributed to this project, it was in the one, and you knew it was in that one, but they didn't know you drank it, that actually, to me, keeping it hidden like a shameful secret would be a little easier to handle. But if quality control is in place... So FDA standards, these kind of things, are, you know that the drink is safe for human consumption. Then I actually believe it would be better to go with the stranger because, again, the rules would make sure that it is safe to drink. But at the same time, you never have to face the person whose semen you've drunk. So my belief at the moment is that it would be better to have the semen from a stranger put into your energy drink to drink uh, again for the medicinal properties that it brings to the energy drink which are none versus someone you know because at the end of the day you actually have to meet and maybe talk to that person again and it will alter the nature of your relationship if that relationship's good i can only assume it gets slightly worse 
Maybe you go closer together, you bond over this. Uh, I don't bond over a lot of things. So for me, I pretty much just write that one off the table right away and assume from here on out, things just get worse. That's been my experience with most human relationships. From here on out, it just gets worse. So it's something for you to ponder. If you had an energy drink and it included human semen, not fur seal semen. It would, if I knew the fur seal, I wouldn't have a problem with that. Like if I knew the animal whose semen I had drunk, I'd be like, huh, you know, there's a, there's a unique experience. But if you have the option, would you drink the energy drink with the semen of someone you knew or the energy drink with the semen of a stranger? Something to think about maybe next time you're having lunch. And if you feel really bad, uh, energy drinks with nicotine and caffeine, yeah, not terrible. I mean, addictive and will kill you over time, but you know, existence does that anyway, so why not? The loss of the loss of podcast. The loss of podcast. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. Leave a text or voice question or comment at voicelink.fm slash podcast. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to velocipeter.com slash podcast, sexy out homies.